Hello everyone and welcome back to the Jake in the Paint podcast. On episode 6, I link up with Sam Herbst over the phone and bring him back to the podcast. For those of you who remember, I did an entire NBA podcast with him about a month ago, a month and a half ago. And he was very excited to come back on to talk finals, some Brian Colangelo epic Twitter debacle and his burner accounts. We talked about some of the moves teams like Houston and Toronto will make in the offseason so they can stay relevant in their conference. And then we pondered some LeBron destinations for the summer. And eventually, if he were to go to Philly, like everyone not expects, but the basketball fans kind of hope he were to go to Philly and link up with the process, how they would fare against a full-strength Boston team with Kyrie and Gordon Hayward back in what would be an absolutely epic series that every basketball fan is praying for next year. And of those two teams, which has the best shot at taking down the Warriors' dynasty next year? And before you say, don't look ahead to next year, we're still in the middle of this year's finals. I personally think the finals is not wrapped up, but coming to a close. You look at Golden State, and they're really just too good for the team LeBron has around him and as great as LeBron is one guy can't do it himself and we're starting to see that LeBron is somewhat human and he needs rest and he can't do this for much longer so although the Warriors do have to win two more games it's never too early never too early to start looking ahead to what might be in store for next year so anyways I hope you enjoy this over the phone interview with Sam it's the first one on the podcast Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Jake in the Paint podcast. Today, I'm back with Sam Herbst for my first ever over-the-phone interview. Yes, yes. Welcome very back, exciting. Sam. We are in, I'm in New Jersey. Um, we're working it on this new app, and uh, we're going to have a great time today. Yeah, shout out to my producer, Michael. He hooked it up, sent me up with an easy app called Ringer, and Sam was able to log on, and we're able to connect. So, we have a lot to talk about. A lot has gone on past week with all the finals, the burners, everything. So we're going to here to talk about it all. We're going to talk a lot about the finals, a little bit about Brian Colangelo, that debacle. And then we're going to take a look at this summer and what teams like Toronto and those guys can do to get over the hump. Obviously, we're going to look at LeBron because he's in a dooming situation right now. And we're going to look at who can take down the Warriors dynasty next year because this year it seems all but wrapped up. So anyways, what are your thoughts on the finals this year? Overall thoughts? I think there's way too much time to uh, call this a done series. Um, I do think the Warriors are the clear favorite. But um, you're supposed to win at, win at home in the NBA playoffs. That's something everyone's yeah. got to remember. Right. So when... When the Golden State Warriors win two games at home, one of them being just barely, thanks to a missed free throw and a bonehead mistake by JR, um, mm-hmm. you can't count the Cavs out of the series because we all know the role players play, be- play better at home. Um, I do think mm-hmm. the Warriors mm-hmm. end up winning the series, but uh, I think maybe six games, five or six games. So I would not, I do think the series is definitely headed back to Golden State. Really? Really, I I don't think they're getting swept like it said last night. Uh huh. I it, it's so difficult for me because like I look at a game like Game One and you it's one that Cleveland should have won. Like LeBron, I've never that's the greatest single game performance I've ever seen in my life, and I don't know that he mentally and physically has some anything like that in the tank. 
and I, JR looks demoralized for a guy with the shortest short-term memory I've ever seen. He just looked out of it. I mean, George Hill, all of them, they're all still, I mean, I don't know if, if it changes when they get back to Cleveland, but that game too, like, I don't even look at it. The Warriors won by 20, all that. Like, the Cavs just got dominated. They had no idea what to do on defense. JaVale McGee and Sean Livingston went perfect. They're still perfect from the series. I think they've missed one shot between the two of them, which is JaVale's botched dunk. So guys like those are dominating the Warriors, uh, dominating Cleveland. And for me, it's like, yeah, role players play better at home. But for them, I feel like me or you could be making the shots that JaVale is making right now. Right. Um, I think it's a lot of things. Um, I am not going to say that the referees help the Warriors win games because um, I think they're that good of a team. They don't even need the help of the officials. But um, mm-hmm. if you look at the stats, like LeBron goes to the line 12 times a game at home in the playoffs, but only goes to the line seven times a game on the road. Is that how he he plays? Is that how he plays? Is that him not getting calls from the officials? So I think if you've been watching games this whole playoffs, the home teams do kind of like seem to get the calls. calls. I don't know know if that's, I don't know if that's um, more of like, more of like the crowd letting you know that they got the calls or they didn't get the calls Mm or, but I do think it's, it's uh, good to mention that he kind of plays a different game at home, and I think the mm-hmm. role players, like you, you talk about JaVale McGee, Sean Livingston, I think Sean Livingston is a very crucial part of this team, and him playing he well at, at home yeah. really helps them. Um, he's he's actually been a very good passer, I think. Him and Draymond have really worked the ball around mm-hmm. on the inside. Like when the ball on those pick and rolls, Draymond always seems to make the right pass. So I think it's mm-hmm. definitely um something worth watching is how many times LeBron gets to the line at home and also the play of a guy like George Hill or JR or yeah. Kyle Korver. So. I mean and and George Hill I was hating on George Hill because he looked out of it, but he did play well in game two. He hit some shots for them. But I mean I feel like if Draymond kept his mouth shut, he'd be everyone's favorite player because he plays the game the right way other than the cheap shots. I mean he rebounds the ball, he plays his heart out, he makes the right pass but he just can't stay out of his own way, which I think is why people just hate him, which I don't even blame him. Yeah. I have, I always have a soft, soft spot in my heart for JR as a big Knicks fan. Um, mm-hmm. But I do see where that's coming from. And I think I thought oh, I was, I was talking about Draymond. I was talking about Draymond. Oh, oh, I thought you were saying JR. I, I, no, I JR, know, JR does not make the right play. Yeah. I don't or know. Play, about, or I don't play know. the right basketball. I don't know about Draymond. He, uh, he really gets on my nerve when I'm watching the game sometimes, but um, he is good. But I don't I, how he carries himself. I agree, is not very appealing to the crowd. Yeah, I mean, I feel like if you're anyone but a Warriors fan, how could you like that guy? It's him, and LeBron does it too. It's like LeBron has never committed a foul in his entire life. Uh, the, but the Draymond, complaining, the complaining is on a whole nother level. This this playoffs, yeah, I think. I I yeah. also they need to address it because I hate that the refs like get the discretion, like, oh, we're going to let this guy complain, but then Draymond only cursed me out once in that sentence, so, like, that's calm for him. But then yeah, when Ty Lue uh, has Van Gundy, he gets teed up. Van Gundy made a point of that on the broadcast. He said, he said, Ty Lue gets teed up for looking at the officials the wrong way because he never does that. But if Draymond mm-hmm. screams at the officials, it's, oh, it's just Draymond being Draymond. It's just Draymond, so, exactly. 
So I, exactly. I think that's I think that's a very interesting point that um kind of like also the same thing with D'Antoni. Um mm-hmm, D'Antoni mm-hmm. would go off at the refs and he never got teed up because they weren't gonna tee him up. So so to say to say that some guys get a little more leeway because because of how much because of how much they complained in the past, I don't think is fair. I think it should be like a Obviously, you can't have a set rule for when a guy gets tossed, but there has to be a little yeah, more consistency. Yeah. I, th- I mean, obviously, like, you like can't. Tristan, like, Thompson, oh, Tristan Thompson gets tossed well, for. He, can, he should not have got tossed for that. For that he play at the end of game one, and then I, I think I thought that was ridiculous. I also I was happy that the league didn't suspend him, and didn't suspend Kevin Love. I thought they were going to suspend Kevin Love. I was very happy they didn't do that. Well, there was kind of a weird, there was a weird push on like Twitter and Reddit and like from Warriors. Oh, you love Reddit. Yeah, I I need to get on Reddit. Warriors beat reporters who were like pleading the NBA to suspend Draymond and like this is a suspendable offense and they're going off. And I just think Draymond, I mean, uh, Kalov, Kalov for stepping off the court or coming on the, yeah, 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 yeah. They were like going I mean, into the rule book and like ridiculous. obviously ridiculous. I, as an NBA fan, you're trying to see every every good player out there on the floor, but uh-huh. but uh, I, I I thought the end of game one kind of got out of hand with the officials. Mm-hmm. I think well they let it get out of hand like that, and Kevin Love clearly I mean it's the rules the rules, but you don't want to ru- not ruin game two, but you don't after all that's happened in that game like really you're gonna suspend a guy for that. It's just a discretion thing that the NBA needs to deal with when they want to use discretion, when they want to abide by their rules. So I think that's one of the many things they have to look at this all season. Yeah, I mean, I think they were looking at, uh, I saw they were looking at challenges starting in the summer league, starting uh, initiating really? kind of like a throw the red flag in football or kind of in the MOB. So. I think uh-huh. introducing that to the summer league, I don't know how much it would change. Or yeah, so what 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 would you be able to challenge? Because like details. in NFL, you can challenge certain things. Yeah, I don't know the details of what you can and cannot challenge, but mm-hmm. um, I think I I don't know how well that would work. I think M- I, the yeah, I I NBA like officials have like the hardest job. And yeah, I mean, I always, yeah, talking about I always I always kind of give them a little benefit of the doubt. And I mean, we were talking about them, the home teams getting more calls. And I just think that's what you said. It's like, if you're a ref and you think you're calling it fair, but every single time you call it against the home team, they're going to let you hear it. You start thinking to yourself, oh, I guess I'm calling it unfairly when really you're not. I mean, it's so hard to keep that level headedness as a referee when the crowds are as crazy as they are in the playoffs. So I think we should definitely look for, I mean, like you said, LeBron will probably get to line double digit times in game three. JR and them will probably hit shots, but I, I just I have trouble seeing like a 40 minute, 48 minute game where the Cavs can beat the Warriors. Like the Warriors, all they have to do is turn it on for five to six minutes, and it seems like they're able to get by. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think the difference in the games has just been both teams are getting looks, sometimes open mm-hmm. looks, sometimes not from three, especially. And, yeah. Though it just comes down to make or miss league, who's gonna make the shots when it matters most, and yeah, Steph hitting those threes in game two, and uh, KD in the mid range. I just think when they're hitting shots like that, nobody, there's nobody 
there's not a team on the world that could beat the Warriors when they're playing that well. Mm-hmm. Um, I think obviously it's it's tough because LeBron and the Cavs were getting open looks. It wasn't like they yeah. were. I mean, there's open. for LeBron. What what more do you want? Like, what more can you do? Yeah, they cut it to nine. I think. I mean, they got to hit they, shots. I think they cut it to nine and. They had an open three. I think it might have been K Love in the corner or something like that. Uh-huh. And they they missed the three. Steph runs down six seconds later and mm-hmm. hits a three. That's that mm-hmm. goes from a six point lead to a twelve point lead in the span of six seconds. So I yeah. don't know how much I don't, I don't know when you're playing against a team like a Warriors, you got to take that into account because they're gonna hit shots like that. That's what they do. Um, but it's just really really tough to guard yeah. them and it's really coming out and the whole world is seeing it now so do you do you hate K- kd like everyone else in new jersey hates kd i don't know i think a lot of people hate kd around here that's very true i, I feel like i was i was just up there this past weekend and i was telling my boy i was coming from maryland and i was like just be ready like jack picked us up from the train and i was like I'm going to be, it's going to be, they're going to bash KD and I'm going to end up trying to defend him. And that's just what it's going to be. I mean, I feel like every time I go there, it's a KD. Did he leave the, like he's chasing championships. He's a snake. He left Ross. Like I just can't do it. I can't, I don't, I don't think of him like that. What are your thoughts on him? I think less, less of, I had no problem with him going to Golden State. I obviously Mm -hmm. it sucks because he's so good, but he he got to the point and you kind of felt it on social media and uh with the media and press conferences and stuff where he stopped caring about trying to fulfill a legacy or or mm-hmm. stop trying to impress people and he kind of just wanted to have fun playing the game of basketball and there's yeah. no better place on the world to do that than Golden State so mm-hmm. i i understood where he was coming from and i didn't really have a problem with with him going to Golden State but this kind of like this kind of like attitude that he plays with the attitude where like he can do no wrong on defense and he just like fouls people and the warriors are so easy to hate because they're so good and kd is That's so not... easy to hate because he's so well, K- good so good and he and he, he does it so methodically he like he, he he's different than steph like steph you'll look at steph and be like sometimes steph you're like well, okay like he's on an off night like KD's off night that he like killed himself for was when he went eight for 22. Like, yeah, that's close to 33%, but that's not horrible. Guys do that yeah, all the time. I think he's still, I think he's still at 26 points or something like that, but yeah, he's still at 26. He, he's KD is on another level when it comes to scoring the ball and mm-hmm. also playing defense, but it's mm-hmm. his attitude that, kind of doesn't resonate with the fans is why I think he's hated so much. Like mm-hmm. LeBron, LeBron's has always been his like entire career better to the media than I think KD has. And I, th- well, I think LeBron, of- LeBron has learned that over, over the course of his right. career. And, and it's, it's, I, it's just like KD kind of seems to not, really resonate with the fans i don't know if it's just the jersey thing no, but no i i completely agree honestly i think kd is too real that he gets in his own way sometimes which like how can you hate on a guy for being himself but like at the end of the day 
it sucks, but being an NBA, that's like in the NBA, your job is an entertainer to an extent. And I think he's so real now, especially like, I think that whole moving to Golden State, watching the media turn on him and all those guys turn on was like an aha moment for him that it's like, wow, I really just love playing basketball. And like, I'm not going to, like you watch LeBron after he hit those game winners. He's like getting on the scores table and doing his like King stuff to the fans. Like Katie doesn't do that. KD doesn't do that. And I don't think the people in the Bay Area look at KD as like, as, and they don't love him as much as they do Steph and Clay, not because of his skill, but just because of, like you said, how he interacts with the fans, interacts with the media. He kind of just puts his head down, plays basketball, wakes up and does it, goes to bed, wakes up and does it the next day. Yeah. And I was with some of my friends on a Thursday night for game one. We went down to my boy's uh, house. Went up to, up to my boy's house in Connecticut, and we were all watching the game. And mm-hmm. it got to like the first half was kind of people in and out. We had the grill going, and not a lot of people paying attention. But KD and LeBron had everybody glued to the TV for the second half of Game One, uh-huh. um, going back and forth. KD didn't play his best game, but ne- neither did anybody on the Warriors. But yeah, I think I think LeBron had it going. He Every time the Warriors made a run, he was right there with an and one response back, and yeah, um, he was he was incredible. I I was I was telling my dad the other day. I've never personally and as a group of friends and family, I've never seen I've never seen people like root for a team and it when they don't they don't have like a team in the race kind of thing. Like mm-hmm. as hard as people are rooting for the Cavs in this series, me really? me personally, I I I want LeBron to get another one and. Mm-hmm. I know watching the game with people, watching game one and two with people, it's just overwhelming rooting for the Cavs, and I've never seen that in a neutral finals yeah. kind no, of like I, I completely setting agree. like that. I mean, this Even people couple, rooting for the Rockets. Yeah, yeah. Two weeks ago, I was at the EYBL, which for those of you who don't know, it's like all the top high school players, and everyone thinks the Cavs and hopes the Cavs going to win the finals, and everyone thinks LeBron is the GOAT. I mean... That's kind of, people really don't like the Warriors for whatever reason. I had liked the Warriors since, I'm not going to like, since Steph's, I wasn't like an original fan, but since Steph and Clay and that whole thing started picking up, I'd always loved them because I think they played great basketball and I loved watching them. And then I was always, Katie was always my favorite player when he was on the Thunder. So when he went there, I've been kind of been rooting for the Warriors, but I literally feel like I'm by myself, honestly. Everyone... Yeah, either, you're definitely by yourself. I, I'm that legit by myself. I mean, no one is pulling for them. No one's rooting for them. And I get why people don't do that. It's boring if you when you have dynasties. And I think that's the one part of not liking KD that I can truly understand is he kind of, not that he ruined the league because that's unfair to say because he made a personal decision, but for the NBA, for an average NBA fan, like it's kind of repetitive. It's same. It's the same old. The thing about it that gets me is just the guy who sits up who sits up on on game one and says, "Oh, I don't need to watch this season because it's just going to be Cavs Warriors, and I could watch during the finals." Yeah, and then the yeah. whole season, I'm trying to tell him that, "No, oh, it's going to be different this year. Like, watch out for 100%, Toronto. Hundred percent. Watch out. Guy. Watch out for Toronto. Watch out for Boston. They got, 100%. They got this guy Pascal Siakam. He's going to win them the finals and like all this BS." Um, <laughs> Uh, watch out for Dario, the homie Dario in Philly. Uh-huh. Like they're gonna make a run, and then 
you blink and it's Cavs Warriors again. A hundred percent time in a row. Like, yeah. That really gets me. So, so I completely agree. I, that's like, I resonate with that experience hundred percent. I mean, one of my boys, he's, he plays hockey. He's a huge caps fan. And I've been telling him, he's been telling me the whole season. It's going to be Cavs Warriors. Like why, why watch the NBA? And I, even when Boston's up three, two, like Boston is up three, two, Houston's up three, two is like, I don't even care. It's going to be Golden State against Cleveland. I'm like, no, like, dude, you got to watch. It's going to be game seven. He's like, I don't care. Like, and I, and of course it's Cavs Warriors. So I completely agree course, with that. Of course. Um, right. I think this is the last year of it though, because I think either LeBron leaves and he takes whatever team, whether it's Philly or I think if he stays in the East and leaves, I think he'll take that team to the finals. Uh, actually, I don't know about that, but I don't think it's going to be Cleveland because even if he stays, I don't see him getting past Philly or full strength Boston next year. So th- I feel like this is the last year of this Cavs Warriors saga. Very interesting. I feel like last time I was on, I was on the podcast. It was I had just come back from the Wizards from game. Uh, the Wizards game. I actually mm-hmm. hit two more venues in the East. I hit Philly for game. Four down, three out of Boston. Okay, and they won that game. And then uh-huh. I was also at, I was also at Boston Garden for Game Five against the King. In the I love, I love that Scary Terry shirt until he shit on himself yeah, in Game Seven. Yeah. But eh, oh god, he, that was it happens. That just really works me up when I think about his shooting performance in Game Seven. You know, I mean, I think at the end of the day, I think he's a six man. He's a spark plug off the bench. And I think he gave him everything you could ever imagine in game six. I, um, I, I was saying that like, like the regular season happens and you get things like Scary Terry dropping triple doubles and mm-hmm. shooting the three out of his mind and Tatum played outstanding and um, mm-hmm. you're getting all this help from role guys. And the same thing kind of happened with JR where, where, and like kind of Draymond at the same thing, like guys are going to resort back to what they've been doing all season when it comes down to it. So a hundred percent, Terry, Terry, you're getting all this out of him in the playoffs, but when it comes down to it, he is not really like a guy you can start at this point in his career. He's kind of still a bench guy, six man. And that's what he played like in game seven. And he played like a six Draymond. Everyone's saying Draymond cleaned up his act for the playoffs. Like, Draymond is going to be Draymond. He's going to get mm-hmm. a technical once in a while. And you saw yep. that in, in one of the Rockets games. And JR, mm-hmm. JR, if you, if you get 20 point nights out of JR, you can't rely on that. He's going to make a bonehead mistake once in a while, which he mm-hmm. did in game seven, in uh, game, one, game one. So, and he's also going to go two for nine. Like that's JR. JR yeah, Smith you, experience. You can't, you can't expect, you can't expect the good all the time. When you know that you're gonna like sometimes get the bad, I don't really know how to perfectly no, no. say I that. No, no, I mean I completely hear you. I feel like you know you're gonna get the good from LeBron, and I feel yeah. like you know you're gonna get the good from KD, and most of the time Steph. I mean Clay's had game. So back to where we were. Sam got a phone call from his mom, so we got cut off for a minute, but we're back now. Yeah, we're Anyways, back. sorry about that. <laughs> Anyways, we're just talking about. I mean any. It's so hard to know in this league what you're going to get from guys in a night out, night out basis, uh, other than your superstars. And we were talking about Calais has had some absent games where he's gone about like four for 20 from the field. And 
it's just so hard, especially when you look at a team of with like LeBron has right now, surrounded by role players. If they don't perform and perform to their highest level at this stage, he has no shot at winning. Yeah, you can't do it by himself against a team that's good, and that's mm-hmm. starting to that's starting to come out, I think. Um, and like people are starting to see that he's been doing it in the playoffs. He's been getting. Not a ton of help, but he has been a little, uh, getting like some support in the big games at home, which has really helped him out. Corver, Corver has been huge for them in the playoffs, and he's been a complete non-factor in the finals so far. Yeah, he has disappeared, and that's kind of uh concerning, I think, for a for mm-hmm. a Cavs fan. But I yeah, think he'll find it, he'll find his stroke at home. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think he's good playing the playoffs has kind of forced teams to run him off the line. Uh, Scary Terry was on the jump today before we got on, and he talked about I, I how, caught the, I caught that for a couple minutes. Yeah, so he talked about how um, they game plan to to run him off the line and, and uh, not let Corver beat them from three. So I thought that was very interesting mm-hmm. to hear from a player who scouted and played against these Cavs that mm-hmm, mm-hmm. how big of a how big of an impact Kyle Corver had. Yeah. I mean, what's your what's your strategy though if you're Cleveland on how to beat Golden State because I've been sort of looking at a bunch of things over the past couple of, since game 2 and my whole thing is I watched a little bit more of game 2 after it after it finished and my whole thing is I feel like I'd rather sit LeBron for a couple minutes each half and I'd rather him play 40 to 42 hard minutes than throwing him out there to play the whole game because what's happening is he needs to take a break at some point right he's half human at least and at least half maybe like I, at least maybe half. like 40 maybe like 60 percent okay so now well now we're learning he's 60 percent human maybe two weeks ago he would have been like 25 yeah. percent but now now we're learning that he's somewhat of a human and he needs to rest and if that rest isn't going to come on the bench and there's no one else to facilitate, he's going to take that rest on defense. And he's, I don't want to say he's been atrocious on defense because that's unfair of him, unfair to say, but he's had plenty of defensive lapses that have cost, that cost the Cavs key possessions on defense. And the two get times the Rockets did beat the, or two of the times the Rockets did beat the Warriors, they held them to 92 points and 94 points. So my whole thing is if you're going to beat the Warriors because, one, you have to get lucky if they're shooting off, if they're having an off-shooting night because we talked about it. If they're shooting well, no one's going to beat them. And two, you're going to beat them by slowing them down and turning it into a gritty game because if I'm LeBron, you can't take rests on defense because you need to get those stops. So I wanted your opinion on that. Right. Um. I think if you're LeBron, he's been doing this all year where uh, he's getting killed by kind of like ESPN and people who are just throwing out the stats that he's like the slowest player in the league or something like that. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. but if you look if you look um in these playoffs, he's he's playing 42 minutes a game on mm-hmm. average. In the regular season, he only played about 36 minutes per game. That's nowhere close to the highest of his career. But mm-hmm. but um, I think he playing all 82, he kind of got into the habit of not playing defense as well 
as he could have been during the whole season because he 100%. learns to break on to take breaks on defense so he could play better on offense because that's where his team they need needs him on most. offense. Yeah. So I think I thought it was a good move by Ty Lue to put the bench in a little early in game two because mm-hmm. I think if they could get something out of maybe like a Rodney Hood or um just someone else, just like another like Rodney Hood's a long wing who could score. If yeah. if he's not if he's not valuable in this series, I don't know who is. So I was um, I was gonna bring up Rodney Hood. They're gonna because... need they're gonna need something out of like so if you look at like games one and two, K Love I thought played great in game one, but it wasn't like he was hitting his outside outside shots. I mean, so, yeah, I mean game two he put up decent numbers, but he was seven of eighteen from the field, and that's not good enough. It's not efficient enough. He was better in the post that game than he was from shooting. Yeah. Um, yeah. I thought definitely. So I think everybody needs to pump the brakes on the Warriors sweep and let the Cavs mm-hmm. play at least one game at home and see how this series looks in Cleveland. Yeah, I I agree with that. I just think, I mean, the difference is I feel like LeBron, he's able to hide a little bit and they say you can't hide someone in the playoffs, but like you're playing against Toronto, you can stick LeBron and OG and Anobi and it's not that big of a deal. And you're playing Boston. I mean, th- you can stick him on semi when he's in the game. Marcus Smart sometimes when he's in the game. But against the Warriors, they move the ball so well. And unless it's in KD's hands, and outside of game, only in game one, this was the case. Game two did a lot much be- a lot much better job of it. The ball doesn't really stick. So he's they're always moving. They're always switching. And he's gonna get caught up on a guy who's moving without the ball. So I think it's really hard for him this series because. We know they have no other playmakers, and they need him on offense. But at the same time, you can't take lapses on defense. Right. So just looking quickly at uh, LeBron's matchups in Game 2 on Sunday night, Mm -hmm. it was actually Mm -hmm. very surprising to see he, for 33 possessions, that's 44% of LeBron's defense. He, or let's see, no. That's forty four percent of KD's offensive possessions. LeBron was actually the primary defender. And yeah, was, I don't like that. That was the majority of LeBron's defensive possessions were on KD, and he he did play about about just as many on Draymond, which is mm-hmm. um interesting. And uh, he played a couple on Sean Livingston, just so he was moving around all over the place. That's because both teams are doing a lot of switching, but. I think if you put LeBron on a guy like Draymond, that's his best yeah, bet. I think Draymond's um, the ideal guy. I think the only reason he's guarding KD is because there literally is no one else who could maybe guard KD on that team. Like he was, he was just annihilating. Yeah, George Hill. Uh, yeah. George Hill, George Hill ended up on him way too much for whatever reason. I mean, but first yeah, so, of all, where you get where are you getting those stats? Those are legit stats. Yeah, so NBA.com, NBA stats, okay. advanced stats. So if you look at KD on offense in game two, it was LeBron for 44%, and then JR and Jeff Green kind of split the second and third mm-hmm. place um, for guarding KD, and I think they did not do a good job on him. Um, but there really is no one who did a good job on KD in game two. So if you're going mm-hmm. to switch and um, have guys out there like, JR, Jeff Green, George Hill, they gotta be able to hold their own against the best players in the league, and that's the challenge that you get when you're playing against a team like Golden State. Yeah, I mean I think I also think Cleveland 
has to chill out with their switches. They're not vers they're not versatile enough against this Golden State team. Like you can't afford a Kevin Love on Steph Curry switch. Uh, that that's a defensive breakdown in my opinion. No matter what the end result is, um, I'll be curious if they maybe blitz the screens or give a hard hedge. I'm not sure what Tyloo's gonna draw up, but I have a hard time thinking he's gonna watch those two for those first two games of film and say, okay, we're gonna stick with our switching strategy. They just gotta do something to disrupt that offense, and mm-hmm. and the war the Rockets kind of did that. They kind of forced mm-hmm. them into playing more of an ISO ball, um, yep. which worked out for them. Um, and I, I think it'll be interesting to see what Tyloo draws up. I can assume you don't think Tyloo's a good coach. I think Tyloo is a good coach. I'm one of few, but mm-hmm. I think he's got something up his sleeve that will hopefully I, win game three for Cleveland. I, I wouldn't say that I think Tyloo is a bad coach, honestly, but I just feel like. I, this is completely from the outside. This is me trying to interpret the dynamic. I feel like LeBron's been in this league so long. He's been so dominant in this league for so long. And we all know he has such a great understanding for the game of basketball. He has a great IQ. I just feel like Ty Lue probably defers to LeBron a lot on maybe things he shouldn't be deferring to LeBron on. And so that's, I mean, you look at the plays, like some of the plays, this could be the assistance, but some of the like, ATO after timeout plays that they run like they're really good plays and they get guys like Kyle Corver and Jay are really good looks so I don't know if that's Ty Lue I don't I, I it's it's always hard to tell who's a good coach and who's not unless it's like crystal clear like we know a guy like Brad Stevens is a really good coach and we know a guy like McMillan was really struggling in the first round I mean Cleveland was literally trapping all depot 30 feet out from the basket and they couldn't figure out what to do with it so I think Ty Lue is an interesting case but you got to feel like he's going to draw something up. Yeah, I agree. I and agree. I mean, I think, I think we pretty much hit on everything in the finals. I mean, you can only cover so much, like we said, until it goes back to Cleveland, it could either be the same exact thing or a completely different series. We'll have to wait and find out. So then on to, right. this is kind this is kind of late news because I, I didn't know how to do the phone, the phone audio last week was struggle getting it had to figure out a time that worked for us but we can't do an nba podcast without talking about the debacle of sixers gm i think he's the gm too right he's president yes yes president i think he makes the decision president gm top dog in the organization of the process philadelphia 76ers brian colangelo's five burner twitter accounts and they're allegedly his some of them we may know have been run by his wife now but at the end of the day, your wife is you, and your wife's getting the information from you. So, what were your what were your initial thoughts when you heard about this story? Well, so it was I forget which day of the week it was. It might have been a Sunday. I I forget which night of the week it was when the ringer. I think story it broke. I feel like it was a Tuesday or yeah, something. It something. Like it was, it was a quiet. It was it was just so middle. It was nothing was going. There was no games. It was quiet. Yeah, it was nothing quiet was really night. going on. And I was sitting in my room and like the kind of like the background of NBA Twitter started to like rumble about this story. on Springer. <laughs> yeah. And that's guys like Zach Lowe and Mark Spears, yeah. and guys like that. And they were kind of like, holy crap, like, this could be really bad. Uh-huh. And, uh, and you start, you start reading the article and you just kind of got, you, it, it took a minute to sink in how, how like 
crazy it was and how the kind of stuff that the Twitter accounts were saying. But you know me, of course, I go follow Eric Jr. on Twitter right away. Oh, of course. Yeah, I, I, fo- I followed him when, right when I heard about it. And, uh, and uh, you start doing some research of your own, like looking back at the tweets, looking back at the likes. Joel starts tweeting and it starts getting a little crazy. So, so that night was pretty wild. And I think um, the Ringer broke, broke a great story. Mm-hmm. That, that, that will kind of reshape the way that teams kind of look at their, like team managers kind of do their job and make mm-hmm. sure they're more careful on Twitter. So. Honestly, I mean, credit to the ringer. I was reading that story and I was like, they didn't just come out with this like anonymous tip and try to leak it like the ringer clearly did their research, loved the detective work that they did, where basically they told Philly that they weren't aware of two of the accounts, not all five, and they closely monitored the other three with burners of their own. And within 24 hours, all three others had gone private. So if, and up allegedly the only people that knew of that conversation with the ringer is whoever picked up the phone for the Sixers in their management and Brian Colangelo. So if you're still in denial that he has somewhat control over these accounts there, there you have it, but credit to the ringer, man, they broke a great story and you have to believe there's going to be some sort of aftermath for this in Philly. I, I don't, I, I don't think he survives. Um, mm-hmm. I don't, I think it's been too much has been said too much has been uh, written about on Twitter where even if it's not him, it's going to take people years to kind of put those two things apart. Even if it is yeah. his wife, it's still, yeah. it's still kind of his opinions. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I thought the best parts were the stuff about the U Chicago team and how it's directly connected, directly connected to his, uh, his son. His son. Um, I thought that was pretty, pretty, uh, I think, like just I think crazy. that was just the whole thing is crazy. That was hilarious. Basically where it's like, is the one where it's like, it's, I get it Sunday morning, but is defense optional for the Maroons? Yeah, that like, was a great, that was a great tweet. Come on, like, come on, dude. Who's, who cares about the Sixers and you Chicago basketball? And then the second, the second one that I thought I like thought was hysterical was the one where he defended his own collar size when he just has an abnormally large collar on every single one of his shirts. And he was like, get a new collar like a fi- he has normal size collars like find something yeah, else to, to, to roast about and then the third so, one that was yeah third one last one is when some guy was like is this you brian like about a year ago and he basically just like i don't know if that were like not that i would ever not that any like human in the right mind would ever do this and create these accounts in the first place but, like if i were to do that i'm chucking my phone and i'm out like off with these if someone even brings up my name and he still continued to do all of them. So that was pretty nuts to me, that one. Yeah, so um, one of my older cousins, Jack's really good friends, actually plays for the U Chicago team and is pretty good friends with his son. So he told me that uh, the group chat was pretty wild that night. Um, And he said that that game that he was tweeting about, the Sunday morning game, was like, Everyone vividly remembers how poorly they played that day, and it was just pretty funny <laughs> that either him or his wife was watching that game and was very upset with the defense clean play that day. But uh-huh. 
um, I, I think there's way too many signs pointing directly at him. Yeah. To yeah, say it's I'm, not him. I, I think at this point, I'm not the law firm that they hired, but but there's too many indicators saying that it's him for it not to be him at this point, in my opinion. I think even if it does end up being his wife, I think to an extent, like, the wife knows whatever you let her in on, like, this isn't her job, it's your job. So I think that he is responsible even if one or two of the accounts are his wife, because I believe he does still own multiple, at least two to three of them, of the five. And so I feel like, I mean, it's just crazy stuff. There's no other way to put it. A guy this high up, GM owner, to just be tweeting. like, And the worst part was he would be like tweeting at Sixers beat reporters to like go ask a player a controversial question. Like like an injury, yeah. Yeah, like go go ask Markel why his trainer has him shoot like that. Or like go ask Big Job. If he failed his physical, I think that's why the trade didn't happen. Like, so irresponsible. You want to laugh at it, but then it's like, wow, like, that's so sad to even think that, like, at that high up of a level, that, I mean, in an organization that was trending in such a great direction that they have to deal with that type of, not corruption, but, like, stupidity. Well, a final a final thought on this situation is just, my prediction for the whole situation is that I don't see him surviving this. I don't mm-hmm. think it's possible at this point. Yeah. But best case scenario, this kind of galvanizes the the owners and the franchise and the players and the fans and um not making Colangelo an enemy, but kind of kind of getting a breath of fresh air. Uh mm-hmm. maybe let's say they they bring an in house candidate to be the president or Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know about the whole David Griffin brings in LeBron thing, but I don't. I but, I don't know about that. I don't know about that yeah, one. Something, something, just a new blood to kind of lead this team, hat, like over the hump and into the finals. And I think, um, obviously, Colangelo is a great-minded basketball, but his irresponsibility, I think, will kind of galvanize the fans and galvanize the owners and the franchise. Hopefully, that brings the franchise to a better place. Yeah, I completely agree. Like you said, way too many signs pointing literally directly at him and nobody else. Um, I don't think he survives either. I think this got this blew up way too quickly, like you said, because the second you hear that story, and then you go read the actual story, I mean that glues that that's glued into your mind. Whether it's alleged or not, there's too much evidence. There's too much everything that points right at him. I think I don't think he survives his job. And but I think it'll be really interesting to see like the long lasting effect this has on the league, also on them being more careful about social media. I mean, it's happened with KD. This ha- and then like people need to be more careful on social media. Honestly, could not agree more. And so moving on from the Twitter debacle, um, I was thinking about this when I was kind of looking at the playoff bracket and looking at looking ahead to next year and. To me, I was looking at it like teams like Toronto. I mean, Toronto is kind of finished. Like, when are they ever going to be as relevant? Not that they were ever playoff relevant, but like relevant in the East for a while. I mean, Philly's coming up. Boston's coming up. Boston, Philly and Boston are already here, and they're only getting better. And then you have LeBron either in Cleveland 
or wherever he goes. So what do you, what are the moves if you're in the Toronto front office, what are you trying to do to keep this team relevant and elevate their play style along with everyone else at the top of the East? All right. So when we, when you told me that we were going to talk about Toronto, I kind of took a step back and looked about, let's say like a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. you're a team in not such a big market. So you're not getting free agents that, that kind of free agents. And, um, so what you do is you go to the draft and you develop your young players. You build a brand new sparkly G League facility and a brand new training facility where you're going to train all your players and hopefully develop your in-house talent because you're not getting a lot of free agents. Mm-hmm. And and if you look back at how the 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 uh, Raptors did this, that's kind of exactly what they did. So you mm-hmm. get in the first place, yep. Yeah, so you get well you have uh a lot a ton of first round picks on the roster. That's Jonas Valanciunas, Noguera, Jakopodal, Delon Wright, OJ Anobi, um I mean Siakam, all first round picks, um mm-hmm. of recent and they're still on their rookie deals. Um that's the kind of talent you want to build around because that gives you cap flexibility and hopefully you could go and get a free agent, which they did in Serge Ibaka. Um, mm-hmm. that's also, an interesting deal though. Yeah. Very interesting. But I, it, at the moment, obviously looking back, the Serge deal might not have been as good, but Serge is only 28. He does have mm-hmm. two years left on his deal. Um, he's making over 20 mil, but it wasn't a terrible, terrible idea to sign him because you needed kind of like that free agent wing four to kind of push you over the edge. But to me, it reminds me of the Blazers, not just because of the backcourt, but because mm-hmm. of how the Blazers mm-hmm. with Evan Turner and uh, uh, Myers Leonard, and all Mo Harkless, all these guys who they developed in house. Who that one summer they decided to pay all those all those guys, which isn't even the problem with the Raptors. I think the problem with the Raptors is what you wanted was to develop young talent, pay your superstars, get a free agent, get a coach that can maximize the talent. And see what happens. And that's exactly what happened. The Raptors yeah. had, had an amazing year. They finished number one in the East. They could not have asked for any more. But when it comes down to it, they didn't have firepower to beat LeBron. And that's so, so demoralizing. Not even just mm-hmm. because not even just because because the Raptors played p- terribly, but because all this these last four or five years were leading up to this year and this moment and Dwayne Casey and Masai Ujiri kind of built this roster around making a playoff run, and to see it end like that, a 4-0 sweep to LeBron and the, yeah. the year where he's most vulnerable is very demoralizing because it feels like they hit their ceiling, and I think they kind of know it, but I think they're going to try and do this again for another year, what they'll finish like third in the East and get eliminated in the second round again. Like, Come on. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just it's just really disheartening because of the situation they're in. I don't think it's even that bad a situation, but it's not their cap flexibility for the next two years is just terrible. Like they have a hundred thirty two million dollars in contracts for not even next year, but the year after. That includes ten million to Norman Powell. So what do yeah. you think about it? Well, I mean, you hit on all the points. I mean, and this was the reason I wanted to talk about Toronto in the first place. I don't think they're just going to fall off the face of the earth, but they're tied up and their hands are tied behind their backs because like you said, they hit their ceiling. 
And I want to talk about them, not because I think they're going to finish in the bottom half of the East. I bet you they probably finish fourth, depending upon where LeBron is. They're probably in that 4-5 spot, and they'll probably have the same success. But that was my point. It's like, okay, you had the two... You had your series against the Cavs two years ago where it's like you proved you could hang around and that was supposed to be like your climb and you're, you keep climbing and then you get swept last year, which is demoralizing. And then you come back this year and you finish first in the East. And then I, rem- I don't know if you remember, but they played the Cavs late in the season and they played them right down to the wire in a close game. And you're like, okay, these guys are like kind of legit this year. And so for it to end like it did, like you said, it's completely demoralizing. And I don't know what they do because they don't have any picks this year and they have a limited amount of talent. You can, yes, you can develop it and you can do all that. But again, they're paying a lot to guys who aren't giving them a lot. And at the end of the day, that's the problem. So if I'm the Raptors, I mean, I feel like I don't know what assets they necessarily have. They do have a couple of young guys, international guys. I feel like they got to get a pick in this year's draft. And it doesn't need to be that high because looking at this player pool, I think there's a lot of talented guys that are going to fall towards the end of the first round, beginning of second. Even if it's just a second round pick, I feel like you need to bring in a fresh face to, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I feel like you, it's so, it'd be so demoralizing for me if I were a part of that team to just come back with the same exact team and just feel like you're doing insanity, just throwing, banging your head against the wall, throwing the same team into the playoffs every single year. Yeah, so, I was kind of thinking while you were doing, while you were talking, like, imagine you're kind of like, kind of like cooking a meal, right? Mm-hmm. And you got your, let's do breakfast because that's the only meal I could cook. But let's say <laughs> you got your eggs and you cook your eggs and they don't taste good, and you kind of just start throwing stuff on them to make them taste better let's say like meat like bacon or extra mm-hmm. salt and pepper and stuff and it can get to the point where there's just no turning back like it's not going to be that good a meal you kind of just got to mm-hmm. clear the plate and start over mm-hmm. and i don't know if if the the raptors are at that point this year i really don't think they are but but not like not this year but 2 years from now Kyle Lowry, who's going to be 34, is going to make 33 million. Mm-hmm. Um, Norman Powell making 10 million. Serge making 23. Valanciunas making 17. Demar 27. These are monster numbers. Yeah. And and the kind of decline that you saw out of guys like Ibaka and Norman Powell, kind of it it hurts because they bet on their potential and they bet on them really helping the team and they kind of didn't really work out in the playoffs. Yeah, mm-hmm. the the regular season is the regular season, but when it comes down to it, this team wasn't built to be the one seed. This team was built to make the finals. Mm-hmm. So, first of all, I swallow. I I love that analogy, and I think it's yeah, perfect. I mean, thank you. That, that's great, and I'm definitely going to use that in the future. And I think I'm going to call it. It's like cooking your eggs, Clippers style. I mean, Clippers did that just yeah. pat, this past year. So, I mean, I think I completely agree. I think you look at teams and the Raptors are going to be in that position eventually with all these teams just having young stars and picks and low contracts. And you look at Boston, like Boston's getting their stud production from guys on rookie contracts. And then you look up 
at Toronto, and Toronto is paying Serge $20 million a year. Kyle Lowry, $30 million a year. And in the NBA, you got – I think in the NBA, like, yeah, this goes without saying, but bad contracts are just the ultimate killer because you have a limited amount of cap and everyone wants to get paid the money that they're worth. But when you overpay someone and they're not giving you what you do, which, what you're paying them, that takes away from money you could give someone else for some other from for some production that you actually need. So that Sergi Baca contract hurts. Like that really, really hurts. Yeah, so if I'm the Raptors, um going to this off season, what I'm gonna try to do first you gotta bring in a coach who can utilize your guys. But maybe maybe not this year. Um because I think they stick with this roster and they stick with this this roster idea for another year, but maybe let's say next summer, going to the summer of 19, mm-hmm. you try to give yourself some cap lenience by maybe pairing a young guy like OG Ananobi or DeLon Wright or Hodel with a big contract like Ibaka, and, and a, they kind of can do that with a pick too. So I think when it comes down to it, the the late round drafting of the Raptors is unparalleled, and I think they're just going to keep bringing guys like Van Vliet and DeLon mm-hmm. Wright to kind of help them. But I think maybe not this year, but next year they kind of got to alleviate that problem. Yeah, no. I, it's definitely a problem, and it's tough because it's like that core has gotten you so far, if we're going to call it by Raptor standards. I mean, they were first in the East, and they had a lot of success, not only this year, but in the past, in the regular season. So it's tough to just throw that all away. But getting swept two years in a row, especially this year when LeBron, like you said, is extremely vulnerable. His team isn't that good. I mean, and we saw a Pacers team with a young and upcoming star, Victor Oladipo, and a supporting cast take them to seven and legit play them to seven down to the wire. So I think... Not only does it hurt if you're Toronto that you get swept two years in a row and you get swept by this LeBron team, but I think it's also a wake-up call. Yeah. Um, just one more thing on the Raptors before mm-hmm. we move on. Just the, the, the worst, not the worst part, but one of the bad parts about this season was just how disappointing DeRozan was in the Cavs series. Mm-hmm. He um, was not good. Just because he's not that kind of player, and mm-hmm. he played like a superstar, superstar all year long. Mm-hmm. I think he started in the All Star game, but just to see, just to see how he kind of, he kind of was a non factor in the big when the bright lights came on is very, very just disheartening as a Raptors fan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean that was tough he's, to that's watch. That's the guy you rely on. Yeah, I mean. Well, we had I had a huge debate going around my schools today, complete coincidence, but today, Clay or DeMar DeRozan, and I yeah I voted on that. You did, well, who'd you take? I didn't see. Or or maybe it was the Oladipo. I vote, I put I definitely voted for Clay. I put I put the Oladipo one on my Instagram first ever Instagram poll. I put yeah, I'm a huge Clay guy. I I love Clay, and I couldn't stand the people saying Oladipo and. I put the Calais DeRozan one on my Twitter because if I did put Aladipo, all the DMV basketball fans would just go Aladipo, Aladipo. So that's an unreliable source. But 
I mean, I think Calais is so underrated. I, I think he's completely underrated. He moves off the ball like anyone I've, no one I've ever seen before. In my opinion, he's the second best shooter of all time, and he's a very good on-ball defender. So I just think DeMar DeRozan, he wants to be put in a category with even guys like Aldipo, Bradley Beal, Calais, those level shooting guards, and he just didn't live up to it when the lights came on. It it was just it was pretty disappointing because the Cavs Raptors series had a lot of hype and there still was no matchup for LeBron. Mm-hmm. They're gonna have to look go, look at that. So and then another team like this is Houston, in my opinion. I mean, Houston's only getting older. Chris Paul's only getting older. PJ Tucker's only getting less mobile. Trevor Reza's only getting worse from the three point line, as we saw in Game Seven, and. I just think, like, what's your move for them? Because obviously Harden's a superstar in this league, and he's a superstar for years to come. But you really felt like this was their one shot. Yeah, so when you look at the, the salary cap and the the situation that the that the Rockets are in, I feel much better about that than I do than I do the the Rockets, the uh, Raptors. Mm-hmm. As as we know and as we've seen, Daryl Morey kind of figures out the cap no matter what. But um, these these supermax contracts that's that's gonna give Harden forty six million unreal hundred seventy two thousand dollars in twenty twenty three. That is the year after I graduate college. He is signed for that long, but so but, he he hasn't signed that extension yet, right? But he's gonna be eligible for it when his current contract is up, right? Well, Harden's, Harden signed or he did sign the last extension year. last summer. But it doesn't kick in. Okay, I'm looking at it right now. I'm looking year. at it right now. Yeah. yeah. It's a, oh, wow. I did not even see that. That's yeah. nuts. So, so they they have their superstar locked up. Um, Harden is definitely not the problem. Mm-hmm. But what's going to be interesting this summer is to see how they handle Chris Paul. Because mm-hmm. Chris Paul gave their team another dimension, but he is 33. They do have crazy money going with Ryan Anderson. I think Eric Gordon is their next highest salary at twelve million. I think he is a valuable trade piece. Mm-hmm. Um, I I have heard around the league that Eric Gordon thinks that he could start on many teams, and he does embrace the six man role because of the winning that they have. But I think Eric Gordon sees himself as a valuable contributor to a playoff game mm-hmm. as a starter. Um but I think the 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 money for the Rockets is much more favorable. Um That's true. That is true. And I I think a, the Daryl Morey, the king of the sign and trade, um I I'm, it's going to be very interesting to see what they do going forward because they have the most options out of any team. They have their superstar locked up. And they have a decent amount of flexibility. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think if you look at the Rockets, I don't think the money is an issue as much as it is for Toronto rather than age. I mean, Chris Paul, like you said, is getting old. And I feel like the last time you were on the podcast, we agreed that signing Chris Paul to a four-year, $100 million contract isn't the best move for them. So I think they're going to have to try to work out a short-term deal for him. I don't know if that's what he wants, but especially with that injury that 
it ruled, it had him out in the in the regular season, then it came back in the postseason. I love CP3 man, but he's getting old, so they're gonna have an interesting choice yeah, so to do with him this off season. I think the the biggest question of the Rockets off season, and as we know, this is kind of a money money tight summer, mm-hmm. um, which which could favor some more trades amongst teams. But I think that the the interesting part for the Rockets this summer is what they're gonna do with Clint Capella. Mm-hmm. I think um, they need. He was a first round they pick, and he only makes two million this year. And I think he is such a big part of their team that you have to kind of bring him mm-hmm. back. I think his age and his skill. Um and the way he fits perfectly in D'Antoni's system, I don't know if it's more valuable than Chris Paul, but I would, I think that the money this summer, how not a lot of teams have it, um, I don't see a team like the Suns throwing twenty five million at Capella. I think the Rockets could get some help, and they'll resign resign Capella to a favorable deal, maybe around like the eighteen to twenty two million dollar mm-hmm. range, but. Um, I think he's very valuable to this team, and unless you get LeBron walking through the door, you kind of have to make him. Anyways, got cut off again, as you guys know already. Sam is a popular guy, so yeah, very popular. Going to the Mets game tonight, so um, I don't know if they're gonna win tonight, but I'm going to the Mets game. All right. Anyways, so back to the Rockets. I mean, I think Capella's their number one prior- priority because. Harden's going to be a superstar for the next number of years. I mean, I don't see him slowing down anytime soon. And you have to kind of rely on that. At the end of the day, at some point in time, the Warriors and Dynasty is going to come to an end, whether it's Calais going to another team, Draymond leaving, someone wanting more money. And I feel like Capella allows you to jump right on that whenever that ends versus CP3. You, he probably is about two more years. And I think Capella in the D'Antoni offense is the cornerstone. Definitely one of. Um, I think I think Ryan Anderson could be good in a sign and trade and um mm-hmm. I don't think they're very they're very I, I, I like their situation going forward better than the Rockets if we're gonna compare the two. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think they finally have the right I think Daryl Morey finally has the right coach and superstar in place. Um, and he knows that he knows that. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I definitely think that uh, they're in a great spot going forward. I think there are definitely teams with bigger problems this offseason than the Houston Rockets. Yeah, I completely agree. But I I don't know. I feel like if they really want to win, and I know it's it's going to sound so stupid because it's like, how are you going to tell the most likely MVP he needs to change his game? But the ISO ball, I mean, it just it fell on its face when it really, when they really needed it to work. And I think a tribute to that. I mean, I'll never have an explanation on why you missed 27 straight threes and 29 out of 30, but my theory, and I had been saying this the whole playoffs is when James Harden has the ball in his hands so much, the other guys are just so disengaged. And when it does come to them, even though they are really good shooters, they're so out of it. They're cold that you're just not in a rhythm. So that was my whole thing. James Harden took uh, the stat was about over he took over 600 dribbles in game 7 and he shot 12 for 29 and just once again didn't show up when it really mattered. So he's going to have to take a really hard look in the mirror and he had an unbelievable regular season. He's my MVP. But Right. And 
And I think if you're going to play like that all year and you're going to live and die by that and you're mm-hmm. willing to die, you're willing to die by that and you're not going to change when everyone says change, I kind of give you props. But I do agree that Ariza, Ariza had a terrible, terrible game seven. And mm-hmm. I think if he hits one or two threes, it's a completely different game. But I, I just think, I think I give them props for sticking to what they do and sticking to what got them there. Um, mm-hmm. and we'll just have to see how it, how it works. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree on that front. I mean, a lot of guys would run away from their culture as a team, but I think to an extent, I mean, the analytics support the threes, but to an extent, if you're literally just bricking after bricking wide open, look like attack the rim, like Ariz had a bunch of looks where he could have pumped, attack the rim, get a layup, go to the free throw line, get yourself in a rhythm. Like, other than just sitting there praying for threes to go in. So I think, I lo- like like you said, I agree that they stuck with their philosophy, but I think to an extent you got to make it work when it's not going your way sometimes. The three ball's not falling because there are going to be nights when it doesn't fall. Right, right. Um, But moving on to the final topic, this has been like all the basketball people in Maryland and which is why I was so inclined to set up this phone audio for the podcast because there aren't that many basketball guys that I co in contact with in Maryland. But the few I do are debate, and I wanted your opinion on this. If LeBron does go to Philly and Boston returns all its stars with full strength, they move Rogier and Marcus Smart to the bench, Marcus Morris to the bench, or Marcus Morris to the bench, who wins in that series? Damn, that's tough. Um, yeah. Oof. I'm gonna have to say. So Philly, the Philly Five would be, would be. Assuming Simmons, you resign Reddick. Simmons. Oh, you do resign Reddick. Okay. Yeah, resign Reddick. Simmons. Uh, Covington. Braun, Reddick, and Embiid. Yeah. Versus like versus like a Kyrie versus Kyrie Hayward, Tatum, Brown, Horford. Horford. With Rogier, Marcus Morris, Smart, Semi coming off the bench. The Philly bench is dangerous. Philly actually, bench or Boston bench? Actually, it's just Dario, Markel, TJ. And whoever they go with the tenth, they I mean they do have two first rounders. And they do have two first rounders. So that is even tough. if even if they aren't able to re-sign JJ, maybe you throw Dario into that role, or a guy like Macau Bridges if he slips to you. I mean, I well, pray that this um, happens because that's going to be one hell of a series. Yeah, next year. This is next year. Yeah, this is next year. I'm gonna have to go with. I'm gonna have to go with Philly. Really. I since I, just I think, heard I just think I heard the question. I think we're forgetting we're forgetting that they also have LeBron. Like it's yeah, no, it's a hundred percent, hundred percent. That that team with LeBron, like come on, Embiid is insane. Simmons is has hit, watching him in person was one of the coolest things I've ever seen. He's so good. I saw him He's play. So in, I saw him play in high school, and then seeing him play like two or three years later, mm-hmm. um, in the in the Eastern Conference playoffs was just unbelievable to see. Mm-hmm. Um. And I think they have a great culture there. 
besides the BC tweets. Yeah. Um, but Brett Brown just got re-signed, and that would be an, an unbelievable series. The the I only think... thing that would get the only thing that would get Philly, I think, is Boston getting all this playoff experience and getting mm-hmm. that experience going against LeBron. Um, they would kind of force them to play. Maybe Brad Stevens, like worst case scenario for Philly, forces Simmons off the court because he can't shoot. I I don't know. I think since I heard the question, I've been Team Boston, and it's I mean that Philly team is incredible. But I think we all we're also forgetting how incredible Kyrie Irving was in the regular season when he was that guy. Jason Tatum was ridiculous during the postseason, and I think what we saw from guys like Rogier and smart where they're being thrusted into a role that they're not built for is not going to happen next year. So I think you have Kyrie as your main score and ball handler Tatum as your blue chip wing Brown is able to become a shot maker and an anchor on defense. Horford is Horford. And then Hayward's still an all-star. I mean, that team is loaded. You're able to bring Rogier off the bench for a spark. Marcus smart for a spark. I mean, both of those teams are absolutely loaded, and it's so hard to bet against LeBron with help. But, and as much as I love Ben Simmons, I struggle to find like his, not his value because he, a guy who's six eight rebounds the ball and passes the ball like he does, is always going to have value. But he's literally a version of LeBron, and with LeBron there, I don't know how valuable he is on the court anymore, especially against a team like Boston. Yeah, I, I, I think, I think, um, the, the return of Gordon Hayward is kind of like a, a Jalen Brown, like, uh, uh, Hayward's a great defender mm-hmm. and, um, he's an established scorer. Yeah. So him coming back will definitely, definitely, um, help that team reach another level and that series would just be unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, I was listening to Zach Lowe on his podcast and he was saying he was maybe hearing or thinking that they're oh, going to shop. What the, the, uh, it was the, the po- low post. It was the, the low, po- <laughs> it was, it was that one. The, and low, it was, the low post. It was, it was after game one with Wendy and Wendy was kind of, you know, getting, yeah, that was a good, that was a good podcast. Wendy, it was short. It was cool. Wendy was kind of giving him like, the LeBron is just devastated, man. He's just devastated. And he was giving him that. But Lowe is saying that he's like, oh, I think they're going to shop some offers for Hayward. And I'm thinking, like, you got to give it one year to see how these guys gel together. Like, at least one. Because I feel like they, right. have a team, they have a chance to be special. And then the, fo- right. the follow-up to this is, are, is the team that wins this series how good of a shot do they have at beating the Warriors in the finals? I think very good. Assuming I think, I think the, assuming, those two teams would be so much better than the Cavs are right now that mm-hmm. I, I give them a great chance. Yeah, I mean, barring injury, assuming Golden State stays together and they're all intact. Yeah, it's hard to predict that, but I, I do think it would definitely be a great series. Yeah, I mean, I think we saw Golden State get tested for the first time with Houston and then we saw them get tested for the first time in the finals against game one in game one. So I think Kevin Durant, especially with the war, the KD era warriors haven't faced much adversity. And so I think this playoffs was good. This 
the Houston series was good for them because they got a taste of, okay, we're down and out. Now we're going to fight back. Not, okay, we're only down 10. We still have this game in the bag, which is probably, even though they still have that thought process a little bit, you're a little bit more worried and you've been there before. I mean, they look like deer in headlights every single time they're in a late game situation because they're never in late game situations. So I think next year I pray that, not that I pray LeBron goes to Philly, but that would just be epic for the NBA, especially after this four-peat of the LeBron and company against the Warriors. I would just love for that to happen. Get some new faces in the East. And Philly and Boston, it's so historic. And then I feel like it's only right for them, yeah, yeah, for that rivalry yeah. to be renewed. Yeah. Um, one more thing before I go. If, if you're the Knicks at nine, who are you taking? Um, I know they will never do it, but if Michael Porter is still there, I want Michael Porter. And I want to see younger Colin Sexton. Uh, neither, neither. And I love no, Trey no Young. Reasoning. Really? I love Trey Young. I love Young. Trey Young. I love, no, no, I love Trey Young. I'm just saying from a Knicks, any other team, I think Trey Young's, I think I'm picking Trey Young over Colin any day. But just from the Knicks, like, as much as I love Trey, I've loved Trey since I saw him in his junior year of high school. The Knicks have so many point guards, and I feel like you have an opportunity to get an elite wing in Macau Bridges unless he's off the board, and that's my number one guy who I want the Knicks to pick. But right. I wouldn't mind if they pick Trey, despite the fact if they're not going to sign resign yeah. Moutier. If you don't resign Moutier yeah. and off with him, and then you play Trey, Trey Young alongside Nitalikina, Trey Burke comes off the bench. I love that, but I, I don't want okay. them to resign Moutier and pick Trey Young. Understood. Well, thank you of very course. much. Of course. Um, it's, it's been a pleasure, and I'll definitely do this sometime soon, um, maybe over the summer, depending on what happens. But mm-hmm. um, I'll uh, definitely talk to you soon. Of course, man. Appreciate you coming on, and have fun at the Mets game. Of course. Game. Yeah, let's go Mets. See ya. <laughs> See ya. Of course, man. Appreciate you coming on, and have fun at the Mets game.